Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the Self Storage Income Podcast. That's right, where we get to discuss all things self-storage. And it's like kind of our favorite topic. So that works out well. I mean, it is uh, it, it is pretty cool, you know, all these <laughs> things that we get to do and amazing people we get to connect with. Uh, it was really cool yesterday. We had an uh, individual that we've talked to a couple times just through social media. Uh, him and his wife have been trying to secure yeah. uh, a deal for a long time. They've been just hammering away at it and they finally... They've got something lined up. It's not for sure, for sure yet, but, but they're getting closer. Right there. So it's it's really exciting to see uh, all this exciting stuff going on. Yeah, that is exciting. Um, we uh, I reposted that too on uh, Instagram. I think you did too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. excited about it's it's so cool watching people get into this game, and that's you know really that's the point of this podcast. We hope that. People can get into the game, and we hope that people that are in the game can level up, that you're hearing about the industry, you're seeing what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis, um, and you're getting to understand more of the thoughts and insights um, of what what's happening in the industry and how the industry is reacting and what um, the future may hold. I, I think a lot of times, particularly when you're starting out, um, so many of those questions hold you back because there's just so much you don't know. And so the idea of getting more insight on that can help you make better decisions and help our industry grow as a whole, which, you know, we're in this thing for the long, long run. We've been in it for a long time and we're not going anywhere. So we love this industry, which to give you an update for us too, by the way, we just closed on another couple of properties. Um, was working this morning. Hopefully we'll have another, uh, existing under contract, um, we got a bunch of developments, conversions going on. Uh, we're seeing things take a long time right now. Oh, it's insane. It's totally insane. Some of these, uh, due diligence periods that we've had and some of, uh, our agreements when we get these under contract, it's like, uh, there's, there's some of them that we just cannot execute within yeah. that time frame. You know, yeah. we can't do our due diligence within those time frames. Um, and again, this is very specific to each one. And there's a lot of them that we do, we're totally fine on. But uh, specifically speaking to developments, especially where uh, we're reaching out to engineers, uh, surveyors, all these guys to go out and do everything that we need to get done to ensure that uh, we can, in fact, do <laughs> what yeah. we want to do to the degree we want to do it. Uh, it's just taking forever and it doesn't matter. I mean, I've been talking to firms all across the country and everybody is just insanely busy. Insanely everywhere. busy. So and it's crazy. It's crazy out there. As we all know, we've seen housing prices and everything as it continues to rise. Um, and it's always times that like this where, you know, you have this massive velocity of money. Money's exchanging hands. It's moving through the economy. There's lots of things going on. Um, I think that, and, and I think this rightfully so, uh, this is where, you, at least for me, that's when I become more nervous. You know, like when things are done crashing, it's easy to be like, okay, well, 
only up to go from here. But. <laughs> yeah, the uncertainty, it, like like we were talking the other day, how there's just this buzz going yes. on and, and how, and I was telling you, it just it makes me feel nervous. Yeah. And it's just that uncertainty is just, it's weird to, to be experiencing all of this right now. And, uh, you know, we talk about dumb money and all these other things going on, you know, getting into industries. And yeah. it's just, it's a really, really interesting time right now. It is. And, you know, we're affected firsthand on it where we live because we're like at the heart of the buzz. Um, the Wall Street Journal just did a big thing on on it. was on the front page. Did you get a chance to listen to that? No, I didn't. Oh, you got to no, listen yeah. to it. I got to yeah. check it out. It's just interviewing people where we live um, and about housing prices and how people are coming in and they're just offering 100000 over asking and it's all cash selling. I mean, people can't even buy homes. It's just absolutely nuts. Um, you got places like Nashville and Texas and Florida and you just, there's these ginormous growth rates, lots, lots happening. And so we fill it, right? We fill it in the air and two with storage. Um, storage is hot. There's just no other way to say it. Lenders want it. Mm -hmm. Um, people want to own it. Uh, people want to build it. And, uh, this is the time that I think clarity is so, so important and understanding what the market, what this market means, um, and how things play out because for storage, unlike housing and other things like that, we're, we're in fairly uncharted territory, um, which isn't a bad thing at all. Uh, but it, it's, we've never been on a, on a cycle like this with storage on a building cycle and everything before. And so we hope that, uh, through this, you guys can understand a lot more. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about here today is just kind of where we're at, what we're seeing. Um, we talk about this all the time. The worst enemy to storage is storage, right? Overbuilt markets. And, uh, um, avoiding those in multiple different ways, right? And we we talk a lot about moving macro to micro. Um, so a lot of people can get caught up in the macro viewpoint on where the world's headed or what's happening and they freeze and they just can't move forward. And so for those of you guys that, that are just tuning in for the first time, we do talk a lot about macro and micro. And if you're not familiar with those terms, that is uh, macro is overall big picture generalization. How the government works with the economy. Right, right. Micro is exactly what it sounds like. It, micro. It's, micro. it's three mile radius. Small. About getting people in the door, um, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there. it's funny because – um, you can't help but talk about macro today because um, the macro viewpoint of the industry and everything else it involves in the government's um, interaction with the economy, which for a huge segment of the economy, it just is the government right now. So <laughs> yeah. it's you, you can't have those two things separate. Now, it's important to understand um, as you're looking at these things, you don't need to know. You don't need to predict the future because nobody can. So we're not predicting the future. We're not saying that we can. That's just ludicrous. Um, where you control is micro, right? So that's where you succeed. You succeed on the execution, the acquisition, the value add, the building. Um, the reason that we look at macro is for strategy. 
And what I mean by strategy, when we're looking at different ways that the economy may be going, how certain things are going to affect our consumers, and what that means to our end goal and how those things will play out. Now, we don't shift the way we do, the way we act, right? We don't shift the way we're running facilities, none of that. So a lot of people are like, well, are you buying? Are you selling? Are you waiting? Are you getting out of the market or not? And the answer to that is we're never out of the market, right? We buy an up, down, sideways, because the micro side is where we hold all the work. Um, That's where we hold all the weight. Now, it's important to understand, though, that the macro does affect it. That gives us, I think, the context to move forward and why I think it's important. And, and for those that don't think that it's important, let me just say we've built an, you know, our entire portfolio basically off these premises. So after we were investing before the Great Recession, and, and two, I guess this might be also um, my more my age group right? Like people that have lived and been working since after 2000 and in the workforce, right? You don't really know at this point, not having major government intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, we see the repercussions of it. It's so astronomical, right? And so I think a lot of us can be um, scarred. And I mean that in a good way from the Great Recession. I, I mean that by wisdom, Right. Um, And trying to look and say, what happened then and how do we avoid those things uh, individually? How do we not get caught? And so when we came through that, we had other businesses that were fairly cash heavy. We were buying some small storage facility in third tier markets. And after the recession, um, I was very big into trying to understanding how the economy works, why it works, because I just... And like that super annoying kid that's always like, well, why? But why? Um, and so I just <laughs> the couldn't The question stop. ever. Exactly. And so uh, I, I studied it through my MBA. I studied through as we were investing and I was doing a lot of mergers and acquisitions at the time. And it was interesting to see the cause and effect and what, and what was happening as we went through. Because of that, we said, listen, my my philosophy was this. The government's now going to get involved because of this big crash. They're going to do so by stabilizing markets. They're going to use the levers that they have. They're going to drop interest rates to zero. They're going to bail people out, and they're going to flood the economy with capital. Well, whenever this happens, there's always a winner, and that's assets, right? Because you devalue money. And so everybody puts their money into assets because money is not worth anything because there's so much of it, right? This is also inflation, right? Inflation helps assets, but asset inflation is exaggerated after government intervention in a big way. Um, As we're seeing today, as we saw in 2008, it's really at the end of the day, we're just on a long-term debt cycle here. So we, we haven't ever gone out of the 2008 era. Like I, I don't view it that we have left. We're still in this um, deleveraging period, which leverage is happening a lot. But let me let me break this down to you and talk to you why these things are. So anyways, we believe that strongly. We started purchasing up bigger 
more efficient assets in markets we knew would grow. And that played off extraordinarily well. Of course, we sold the ones that we had before the Great Recession to maximize larger facilities, internalizing operations, and focusing on where we could buy underperforming assets, turn them around in markets that we could compete. And we grew this strategy, all meanwhile watching the government. Now, the same thing in uh, when we had coronavirus hit, markets started to shut down. We saw for a very, very brief period of time, the CMBS market started to shut down and people started to get really, really scared, which for us, we said, hey, listen, we already have precedent. The government's going to bail out and they're going to do what they do best, throw money at it. So we used that to buy two incredible properties, um, one which we acquired immediately and the other one was a bankrupt building that the previous buyers had to get out of and the, the money markets were, were bad. And so we picked up that one too. Um, those tend to be, end up being rock stars. Um, but let me walk you through here some things that I've been working on over the last p past few weeks as trying to understand the consumer, where we're at, what that means overall. Now, um, I have, uh, I've been trying to put this together in a usable format and I'll put it on Twitter. I'll probably end up making, a like a PowerPoint with some videos on it. So everybody can see this. Also, we're probably going to put this podcast on the AJ Osborne podcast because, um, I think it's a important one. So might be on, on both of these. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'll walk you through some of these numbers and, um, different things that, that we look at. So the reason why these things are important in my industry and anybody else's industry, right? It just doesn't matter. Interest rates affect things differently. Um, interest rates in the housing market, if interest rates go up, the housing market's going to slow down because you can't afford things, right? Well, a slowdown in the housing market means a slowdown in uh, exchange of hands uh, for assets, um, housing. Uh, that means a slowdown in storage, right? So as housing picks up, storage bloats, right? And as housing slows down, um, so does storage. That's how it works. Now we have core occupancy. I talk about this a lot. We have core occupancy and transitional occupancy. Core occupancy is that base that stays for um, more than a couple months. And then transitional occupancy is occupancy that is exchanging hands, moving um, really quickly. They're just needing it for short term. Um, and that's uh, really, really important to understand and know. Because when markets get super hot, like we see now, a larger percentage of your self-storage people are going to be transitionary. And that represents a lower, transitionary people have a lower lifetime value to you as an owner because the lifetime value of the customer is how much they spend with you versus and how much how long they're there. So when you look at those things, the shorter is obviously not as profitable, but yet admins higher. Um, and they're more sensitive to rate increases. So losing, getting an ad, you want those people to become core, but a huge segment of them don't. And the higher up that is your occupancy starts driving up and that allows us to raise rates because more people want it. But two, that goes away. Those disappear when times slow down. Um, and we've seen this every time there's been a contraction. So when we're looking at this overall, our sector, the consumer, um, and where we're at now, where they're at now, and how healthy that is, and how healthy a forward-looking occupancy 
and rate increase scenario may be, uh, it's important to look back. So if we go back to really the 1980s all the way up through 2008, um, we had basically in, uh, overall income stagnation and maybe even a little slightly decline, although for the average income, right? Now, overall, this income stagnation, right, that was kind of moving or not, was being, the economy was booming and things were being fueled because the income stagnation was being replaced with debt. So we had a lot of fancy debt um, instruments coming out. And this debt that was coming out included housing, right? Clinton came out and said, hey, we want affordable housing for everyone, told the banks, figure out how to get everyone, even if they're impoverished, into a house. The banks all got together and they did what they were told. And we had uh, that bond market was created. I think that's a really important point to bring up, especially for like you're talking about people that haven't been in the workforce or been, you know, since those timeframes where you like financing everything didn't used to be a thing. That Yeah, that didn't yeah. exist. No. no, that didn't exist. If you didn't have money, you didn't buy it. It was, and homeownership was not easy. You had to really save. You had to have good credit. And when you bought a home, you bought it for life, right? At like a huge like, interest rate. <laughs> yeah, at a huge interest rate. I mean, you're yeah. talking about, you know, interest rates before, you know, 84 and everything were, were and during the early parts of the 80s were astronomical. Then as those interest rates dropped from 12% because of inflation, um, it started to, to drop because Paul Volkerman, my favorite Chedman, uh, chair uh, Fed, he was a big bald guy. He allowed the interest rates to rise to combat inflation. And that became, a, that became the sword, right, of our central banking system and the Fed. They're like, we use uh, interest rates to kill inflation. And we use interest rates to spur the economy. Um, and at that time, they boldly declared that they cured inflation right now. Didn't mean they cured it. I mean, at that period of time, based on those circumstances, they found a way to stop it. And that's been the mode of moving forward. Those interest rates um, came down. We had a boom in debt from, you know, 84 to 2008. But what happened was, after, since incomes weren't booming like debt was, people were overburdened in debt. And then as interest rates started to rise after 2007, the percentage of uh, debt service to disposable income hit all-time highs and mass defaults, right? As we all know, this is the end of a debt cycle. Now, if you look at household debt to GDP, once again, from like 1998, but really you got to go back to 1986, there's huge spike of household debt to GDP, all while we didn't have significant rises in income. This caused the, of course, Great Recession. This is the end of a long-term debt cycle as we know it. Now, the important things out of this are to understand, first of all, affordability and how much the consumers can bear and what that means. Immediately after we go through a massive deleveraging period, bankruptcies, defaulting, the American people have to shed debt. Um, now, household debt to GDP dropped significantly um, for roughly, I mean, almost 10 years. Now, that trend stabilized in the last three 
and now household debt to GDP is going up, but it's just starting. It's, it's slightly, it's nothing we don't see out of control. The number one thing though, that's more important debt is not all debt is created equal. And I'm not just talking about assets and liability. I'm talking your cost to borrow. Right now, the uh, mortgages, mortgage debt as a percentage of disposable income is at all time lows. That means people are spending less on their mortgage today as a percentage of their disposable income than they have ever, but definitely till back till 1984. Uh, the reason being is they're low, low rates, right? Now we see boom in housing costs because of two things, low rates, affordability, people that can actually borrow money now, and we didn't build houses for 10 years. So every year, the United States needs to get a million new houses just to basically stay treading water, right? Well, that dropped to like 300,000 houses for like five straight years. So every year, we were at a deficit of 600,000 homes in the United States. And then we had this huge population of millennials that said, you know, oh, buying a house is stupid. Well, now they all grew up and now they all want to buy houses and we don't have houses, <laughs> right, yeah. um, uh, to sell them. And so that's causing prices and everything to rise. Although, once again, affordability is super low, people. And so we don't see the housing bubble, right, is not a bubble. One of the reasons I don't think it's a bubble, that doesn't mean it won't go down. I need to clarify this. But one of the the main reason you look at this interchange of houses and everything is the debt products that are putting out, we don't see mass teaser rate loans, right? We're not seeing like, okay, well, interest only in two years, or you've got a variable interest rate that resets and fixes in three years. These are 30-year mortgages that are fixed at this super low rate. Um, that's very different than the kind of debt that was taken on after 2004. Um, so we have affordability, but two, we also have um, rising in income. So income levels this year started to rise and rise dramatically in a lot of places. We expect this to continue due to labor market shortages. So we expect incomes to keep rising, right? Now, what does all of this mean? Okay. And why is this important at all to storage or whatever you're doing? First of all, I'm looking at the health of the market to understand in all my projections over the next five years, what that may look like, what may happen, um, and what are the good and the bad. So affordability, those kind of things, that's all good. Um, we have massive headwinds coming because during this time, you also have to realize we're in the middle of a massive social change. So at the end of every debt cycle, right, long-term, we have short-term debt cycles all the time, but long-term debt cycle, there's a massive shift. And that is always accompanied by massive raise in taxes because the government just took on, well, astronomical isn't even the right word for it. Um, I mean our money supplies just skyrocketed uh, due to the uh, amount of debt that our government's taking on. So they have to pay for it and they have to pay for it. So keep people keep buying treasury bills, right? And that can help cure inflation. So the worst scenario that we see is rise in interest rates along with rising taxes. 
and that would affect the housing market dramatically. Now, certain aspects of the housing market is affected more than others, right? In that scenario, we see high-end homes being greatly affected, um, right? Where we see in that scenario, homes that are maybe under 300,000 being affected very little um, and huge demand. But no matter how you look at it, we see a huge demand for renters continuing. We don't see that changing. Um, prices have gotten so high, affordability is so as uh, part of disposable income is low, but that's for people that can get the mortgages. There's a huge population that cannot afford houses at this level. We that's not changing. We don't see fundamentals of that changing. So our renter it will be our renter base will be diversified, right? Now in the coming two years, we do not see mass increases in storage happening like we did. Uh, oversupply, the amount of supply being put on the market and the amount of supply being put on the market of everything is trying to catch up. It's trying to continue. I would argue that it already has in storage, right? Housing way lag behind units. I don't think there's enough housing units, period, rental, anything. That's, I, I just don't see that changing, but storage will soften and housing softens because of either interest rates, unaffordability or tax issues. Um, so all those things, we've seen this just ginormous spike over the last few years. We do believe that's going to soften. Now, what will end up happening will be probably a tale of two cities. Some parts of the United States are going to do very, very good, right? And we're hyper-focused on those areas. We're hyper-focused on migration patterns because the raise in taxes disproportionately affects areas. If you're in, if you're in Texas versus California, there's no comparison, right? I mean, you're going to end up paying 65% on the current tax bill in California, right? And so you, that, that disparity is not going to slow. It's going to get bigger, we believe, um, which those reasons we're looking. Areas of affordability, future potential adverse hits, and individual states whose governments are going after people that um, either make a certain amount or putting higher regulations on people to build, to do the things that they do, because that ends up having this overall slowing and crushing effect. So we avoid those areas completely. Um, when we're trying to understand how this transfers into micro, we're much more selective. The oversupplied markets are adversely affected. So if next year we have a huge rise in interest rates, Right. And once again, I'm not, we're not predicting futures here. We don't know the future. I'm looking at scenarios that can happen and how to avoid them. Areas that have oversupplied markets of anything, apartments, housing, any industry of products or whatever it is, they are adversely affected during contraction periods of money supply. Those areas drop, their, their drop is um, much, much greater than other areas in the United States. So we're looking at areas that have low square footage per capita and have room to grow that we can build in and sustain more than a uh, two-year projection, right? So when you're looking at where we sit now, if you're looking to get into it, um, self-storage, anything else is still incredible to get into and you should be. But you need to be taking into account these changes, these changes are huge and they're long lasting changes and you need to be careful about where you're putting it. And how I always like to think about it is if your projections are required of future growth to happen, I wouldn't be doing that right now.
That's just plain and simple. I wouldn't be touching it right now. That's um, speculation. And um, two, I take out a certain portion of the market. So like, they're like, oh yeah, well, everybody's full. Okay, well, how does that market that's putting on hundreds of thousands of square feet? Now, everybody's full right now, but how can that market absorb this future supply that we know is coming on? So it's already there in my mind, right? How can it absorb that? And what will the effect be? And how did that market do during either the last recession or how's the housing stats, all that kind of look at? I want to see and think about how that individual micro market will do during a contraction period because it's going to happen. So I just don't want to get caught with my pants down, right? That's what I'm trying to avoid here. That's all. And uh, areas that I believe that contraction will be larger and more adversely affecting us, we just have to avoid. And it can't be based upon any projections, particularly when you're developing people. You can't say, yeah, but at this growth rate, this is going to be a great deal. But you don't know if that growth rate will continue. And it could stop tomorrow. It could stop tomorrow. So you just can't do that. That's so, so, so important. Um, But we do believe that incomes will continue to rise. And we do believe that renters are going to be strong for self-storage, right? Um, Unaffordability, lower housing prices, new uh, millennials taking over. You have the older crowds that are downsizing. Um, and cost to add a 20 by 20 onto your home is really expensive. So for that, once again, all those economics and things look good in the long term, but it's the short terms that I worry about and it's the micro execution and what happens in those short terms. So the contraction's gonna happen. Who knows when, right? We don't, nobody knows. And the severity of it, we don't even fully know at all, but that can't stop you. And that's the point. Like we're looking at this to give us guidance to try to not to be stupid, right? I don't want to make dumb decisions. I don't want to be like, oh, you know, this was totally just spreadsheet math that looked great on paper, but could never be executed. And two, had to be executed in a perfect world. Uh, if that's the case, we're not doing it. Um, and there's a lot of that going along on mm, right now. Yeah. A lot. And that's what makes us more nervous. So be specific on your micro environment and be specific on the demand associated with it today and tomorrow and how that's going to look. Monitor, don't, when I say, when I, this is really important. When I say like monitor um, the economies, like overall what's happening, everything, I don't go to like Fox or CNN and say, oh, what do they say is going to happen? right? That's just ridiculous. Those people are all just, they don't know anything they're talking about. Um, it's so biased and everything else. Again, avoid the talking heads, go and do your own research and look at different trends in the economy and what you're seeing. And you can just go like, I just go straight to the government sites, the feds, where they just post everything that's coming on. And I just take all that data and I'm just kind of looking through it. And I'm trying to figure out where we at, how healthy are Americans, right? How can they afford this stuff? Is their incomes rising? Do I, you know, that do your own research to develop your own opinion. And, um, I think that right now there's way too many talking heads that get us all confused. And that makes us make long-term decisions off not just false information, but off decisions that shouldn't be long-term decisions. 
oh, well, I, you know, I, there's going to be a downturn, so I'm not going to invest. Yeah, you're right. There's always going to be a downturn. <laughs> 10 years later, like, see, I was right. Yeah, I exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and too, if you look at all the people that over the last 10 years have been literally saying, I'm not going to buy a house because I'm going to wait till the next recession for it to be cheaper. They're never going back to those prices ever. So it doesn't matter when the recession is, right? They've lost. They already missed the boat. And the point of acquiring now is so much higher. I mean, we coming into the game, if we would have been like, listen, the whole economy, everything's a disaster. We're going to hold off. We're going to wait. We're not going to get into this game, right? Then we would be purchasing at five, six X what we were then. Also, if we wanted to have been getting into the industry 2004 to 2008, we wouldn't have even known how to take advantage during uh, another part of the cycle. So it's not one or the other people. And people that are in the game for the long term, they don't look at it like that. They don't time the markets, but they make much better decisions based upon what the market's telling them. And that keeps them out of trouble. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And it always just goes back to that uh, that guidepost that you're always using where you allow, it's not that you have a crystal ball or any of that. You're letting real factors that are measurable, that are in front of you, decide whether that's money or this data that you're collecting or both. That's deciding whether or not something's good. And like yeah. we're always talking about, if something's good, it's good. It doesn't matter yep. when it is. It's That's plain and simple. And yep. the whole timing markets, I'm going to wait, all that stuff. Prime example, just like you said, is this whole rise that we've had this past decade from the crash. And, and, and like you said, everybody's missed that boat. If they were sitting there saying, oh, I'm going to hold off, I'm going to hold off. Dude, you just lost huge. Huge. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it, this comes down to strategy too. You should be looking at an investment for a long-term strategy. Whether you exit in two years, three years, five years, or never, you should underwrite it long-term because you don't know what the conditions of the future are, if you can dispose of that asset or not. When we look at an asset, we look like we're going to hold it for life. That way, I'm in control of whenever we need to dispose the asset, if we do at all. I can do it when times are good, right? Now, we don't really dispose of assets, but that's because we refinance. We build the wealth in, we refinance, we take it out. We also can wait for that. Right? We're doing another, we just did a huge refinance last year. We're doing a whole nother one into non-recourse loans now because it's super attractive right now. We're shifting risk off ourselves. It goes non-recourse and we're pocketing that spread. And that way we can reinvest that money tax-free, by the way. Um, so when you're looking at that, remember that this, this short-term stuff gets people into trouble really, really, really quickly. For sure. For sure. With that said... Let's jump on to our sponsors. Oh, and after the sponsors, I got to we got to talk about the, the oh, announcement. Design. The the, uh, thing. Uh, the thing, the thing, That's right? <laughs> yeah. So, as you guys, if you've listened to self storage income at all, and if you're if you guys are listening to the AJ podcast over there, uh, our sponsors are Janice International and Live Oak Bank. 
And that is AJ's dog, Oakley, in the background. <laughs> uh, just welcoming, office yeah, dog. Yeah, welcoming uh, someone into the office here. But uh, Genis International is one of our partners. They uh, started in the storage industry decades ago. They're in the metal fabrication. And uh, also, they had recently purchased the tech company Noki, which allows uh, for keyless access, entry, rentals, management of a facility, um, which is a huge, huge way to up your game and your status of your storage facility. This can be built in, wired, all that stuff, or it can be retrofitted to an old existing facility if you just want to plug in this stuff to um, bring up your facility to these new industry standards that are getting more and more common every single day. And uh, they have some phenomenal products over there. You guys check them out. Links in the show notes. And the Live Oak Bank, again, these are another, another, this is another partner of ours that them and their team, they've been in this industry for decades. They know storage. They know how to underwrite it. They know what they're looking at. You obviously provide them with everything you have, educate them on, on where you're at, what you're doing, but you don't have to teach them the industry. When you're going in and you've got a deal and they're underwriting underwriting it or you're wanting to get refinanced, whatever it is, they know and understand this asset class, which is huge in getting your financing and that communication. Uh, and, I mean, from ground up, phenomenal partners. Again, links in the show notes. Go check them out. They've got some really, really attractive SBA loan programs going on right now. And uh, you guys will definitely, definitely want to get in contact with them if you're thinking about or have ever thought about an SBA loan. Absolutely. And now for our, I guess we've announced it before. Um, so everybody, we are having our event in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho at the resort. And the dates on that are September um, 29th through October 1st. September 28th is for the Inner Circle members. And that is, we're going to have a huge speakers. I'm so excited. Brandon Turner is coming to speak from Bigger Pockets. Um, and we have some of the largest storage investors in the world that are speaking. Um, well, we have the largest storage uh, uh, owner uh, privately in the world speaking. So um, this guy's, I think we're, uh, let me see here. I just got a text. Oh, yep. Okay. The site's actually live. Travis Morrow just texted me literally during this podcast. No way. Uh, yeah, yeah. The site's live. <laughs> that's oh. crazy. Um, so that's that. so funny. Um, the site's live. Uh, now you can actually register. So we've already had like, we have 300 spots. Um, we've done no push anything yet at all. This We're just starting it now because the site's now just live. But we mentioned it, I think, on one of the podcasts. And we already have over 75 people signing up and 150 of the people are designated for store local. So we only have something like, what it, wait, it was 150 total, 50 total like 75 yeah. is already, are already, uh, basically taken. So you guys got to get, get on there, selfstorageincome.com and selfstorageincome.com forward slash events and reserve your spot. Uh, cause I have a feeling that at this rate we will be done and full in like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's going fast. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and just the response that we've gotten from all our listeners at uh, self-storage income. And now it's over here on uh, the AJ podcast here, uh, which is awesome. And this is a, a very exclusive self-storage industry yes. event. This isn't like any other storage no. event that has been you know done in the past at a motel six or any of this stuff. No. Uh, this is very exclusive. Nice. Yeah. We want networking. We've got 
we're going out and doing dinner cruises out on the lake. We have a big event on the uh, golf course with the floating green. Yeah. Um, so this is, we're trying to do this really nice. This is a no sales event. We don't allow, I think as of right now, we don't even, we're not even allowing vendors. So we mm-hmm. don't even, we don't right. even have sponsors, Yeah. right? It's brought to us by store local. Who's my partner in this coming into it. Store local is, but we we don't have sponsors yet. That may change, but we're almost full and uh, we're trying to keep quality control is so important to me. As you guys know, from the podcast and everything that we do, um, we don't want to cheapen this up. This is how we make deals. This is how we find people that we work with for a lifetime is at good quality events. Cause those are the ones that come to. So I'm so excited about it. Um, so go to the site, check it out and get registered now. Link is in the show notes and uh, thanks so much everybody for all your support, all your reviews, everything that you guys got going on for us on social media and YouTube. The response has just been huge. I know on the self-storage income side, it's just been incredible. So thank you guys thanks, and uh, we'll catch you next time.